Times podcast. We are in Revelation chapter 7 today, which means we are in episode 8 of our Revelation series. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Now, by way of uh, introduction, we, uh, we have looked at uh, in the... Um, in the divine outline that God gives us in Revelation 1 verse 19, we've looked at so far the things that were, that was the the revelation that, uh, or the revealing of what God gave to John in Revelation chapter 1. We've looked at the things which are, which is Revelation chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches of that time, across all times and right now. And we've started looking at the things that shall come hereafter or after, meaning after the church age, after that is the church gets raptured into heaven, uh, which we seem to get a bit of a glimpse of in Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Revelation chapters uh, 4 and 5, we get a glimpse of the throne room room in heaven. We see the elders, which is the church in heaven with angels glorifying God. But then we, uh, then we see in Revelation 5 a scroll revealed, which is the title deed to the earth. And John is distraught because no one is found worthy to open the title deed to the earth, which means the earth cannot be redeemed out of the clutches and control and ruling of Satan. And John is distraught about that. But then the line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain is revealed. Jesus Christ, Messiah is revealed as the only one worthy to open the scroll and redeem the earth and all mankind unto himself again. And then Revelation chapter six, Jesus starts to uh, take the seals off the scroll and enter into judgment upon the earth, exercising his power in order to take back control over that which is his, to uh, cast out, if you will, the usurper, that is Satan and all his followers. And, uh, and so Revelation chapter 6, we, we go through, and this is what we looked at last week, we looked at the first six seals of judgment. And, uh, and they were the conquering, the war, the famine, the, de- the conquering, uh, that is, of the Antichrist, war, famine, uh, a quarter of the whole earth, one-fourth of the whole earth's population being killed, uh, the fifth seal being uh, the martyrs, Uh, So we get a a glimpse of those who are martyred for turning to faith, that is turning to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. And then the sixth seal, we get uh, a whole bunch of cosmic uh, changes going on. And uh, and then we get to Revelation chapter 7. Now, we've looked through six of the seals and Revelation 7 is kind of like a a pause, uh, a break, Uh, Something that's in brackets before we get to then seal number seven, which opens up the seven trumpets. So we talked a little bit about this last week, how there's uh, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. In between seal six and seven, there's a bit of a gap that kind of uh, 
uh, it gives us a bit more of what's going on and elaborates on some of the things that have been said. And then we, then we get into the seventh seal, which is the seven trumpets. And then after the six uh, trumpets, there's a, again a bit of a break uh, where it expounds on things that are happening during the midpoint of the tribulation. And then we get into the seventh trumpet, which is the seven bowl judgments, which lead into the, uh, the, the return of Christ. Now, so where we find ourselves by way of context now in Revelation chapter 7 is in the seven year, that is the, during the future seven year tribulation period, which is Daniel's 70th week. We're in the first half of that seven years. So we're in the first three and a half year period. And we are sitting after the first six seals, which is the first woe. So the first six seals are the first woe. Uh, then the seventh seal, which is the first six trumpets, that's the second woe. And then the seventh trumpet and the, uh, the seven uh, bowl judgments is the third woe. Okay, so we've just... Uh, completed uh, the first six seals or the first woe and we're, we're in that little gap before we get into the seventh seal which is the seven trumpets okay so revelation chapter 7 verse 1 here we go after these things that is after the first six seals have been opened and before the seventh one I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, I'm just going to pause there briefly. This is a slight uh, sidetrack. Uh, some will argue here, four corners of the earth. Uh, look, uh, people will argue from different points. Uh, the flat earthers will argue, ah, see, look, it's flat. There's four uh, corners. Um, what's interesting about that is that uh, most flat earthers now believe in a uh, a flat disc rather than a flat square. But anyway, that's another story. So they will argue, ah, look, flat earth. And uh, the other side will argue, ah, you guys are so dumb. Uh, the Bible is wrong. Uh, see, the four corners refer to flat earth. And because the Bible is wrong, therefore you can't believe all the rest of it. Um, both of these arguments are ridiculous. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. A better translation here from the... Uh, from the Greek to the English, would be four quadrants of the earth. That is north, east, south, and west quadrants of the earth. So you've got angels in the four quadrants of the earth holding the four winds, that is the north wind, the east wind, the south wind, the west wind, uh, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So the wind is going to be stopped. Interesting. Then I saw another angel. So this is the fifth angel in this scene. I saw another angel ascending from the east. So coming out of the east quadrant. Having the seal of the living God. Now I just want to pause there. This is a great example of uh, making sure we're understanding the context before we draw a conclusion. So uh, to give you an example. So many people uh, will suggest that when the Bible talks about the last trumpet in relation to the rapture, uh, which I think is in, I think the last trumpet is spoken about in Corinthians and also, so First Corinthians 15, 52, around there, and First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Uh, so they, would, they say, ah, see, look, the last trumpet 
that must be referring to the last of the trumpet judgments during Revelation. Therefore, the rapture comes uh, during the middle of the tribulation and not at the beginning. Okay, so that's a conclusion that people draw because, ah, trumpet, ah, oh, that must be the same trumpet. No, different context, different trumpets, totally different. The rapture is at the start of the tribulation period. The seventh trumpet is, uh, initiates the midpoint of uh, the, the latter half of the uh, tribulation period. Different trumpets, totally separate. Likewise, this seal here is not referring to uh, the seventh seal. It's not referring to the previous six seals. This is something totally different. This is the, uh, the seal of the living God. Now, if you dig into this a little bit further, um, you'll note that believers were sealed by the Holy Spirit, which referred to a finished transaction. It referred to ownership. It referred to security. We have similar thing going on here. It's the seal of the living God. Let's keep reading. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So these four angels that are control that have stopped the wind and controlling the wind, this fifth angel who has the seal commands them to uh, stop. That is, um, uh, he says this, verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, uh, presumably with the wind or lack thereof the wind. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So there is a sealing that happens here during the tribulation period this is within the first half of the seven years so we're part way through the first three and a half years and there's a ceiling that happens a finished transaction and ownership of security so what that means is these servants of our god who get sealed on their foreheads we find out later they have the name of uh, the father written on the foreheads this is referring to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. But not just people generally, it's specifically referring to the remnant of Israel. How do I know that it's referring to the remnant of Israel? Keep reading to verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, that is finished transaction, ownership, security. They are gods. They are sealed. And in this instance, the sealing is a sealing of protection from uh, some of the judgments that come upon the earth. And we read that as we continue to go through uh, the tribulation period and reading of Revelation. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, we know it's the remnant of Israel that are sealed. That is the remnant of Israel who have come to faith in Christ at that point are sealed. Uh, and we know that because it's 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, some people have tried their very best to spiritualize and symbolize this to, to be meaning uh, 12 times 12,000 and it's referring to this or that or... But the Bible is very specific. I don't, I don't understand why we need to symbolize this. We just read it. It's referring to the tribes of Israel. It's referring to the nation of Israel. It's referring to a remnant within that nation who have turned 
to Jesus Christ, put their faith and trust in their true Messiah, and they have been sealed by God. Not an indwelling Holy Spirit, but some sort of a seal that goes on their forehead. And just in case we didn't get it the first time, if you read verse, and we will, verses 5 through 8, he makes it very clear. This is a very literal thing. There are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and there are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, which makes 144,000 sealed remnant of the nation of Israel. Okay? Now, before I start reading, uh, no, I will read verse 5. Of the tribe of Judah, very clear, 12,000 were sealed. Okay? Again, it's not rocket science. We don't need to symbolize this. 12,000 from the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, from the tribe of Judah, from the nation of Israel, are sealed. And some will say, oh yeah, but all the tribes are lost. We don't, we, don't know, uh, we don't know where those tribes are. We don't know who is from what tribe. And um, though I personally disagree with that, uh, certainly God knows who is uh, from what tribe. Certainly God uh, knows all these things. We, we believe in a God who created all things. We believe in a God who um, can preserve his word uh, across 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years. We believe in a God who sent his son to save us, to die the death on a cross that we deserve and by his blood that we might be cleansed and washed clean of our sin, that we too might be able to rise, that is be resurrected with Jesus for eternity. We believe in this God and this God knows who's from what tribe. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Gad, 12,000, verse 6. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000, verse 7. Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Um, Tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulon, 12,000. Tribe of Joseph, we're in verse 8 now. Uh, Tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Now, a couple of interesting things here. When you look uh, throughout Scripture, every time the 12 tribes of Israel are mentioned, you often get different variations of who those 12 tribes are. Now, how is that possible? I thought there was just 12 tribes, right? Uh, well, actually, there's 13. So when you think about it, you've got uh, the 12 brothers, which included Joseph. Now, Joseph was lost. Uh, and by lost, I mean the Lord was working in him and through him as, as his brothers uh, sold him into slavery. So Joseph was lost and he had two, or he had many sons and daughters, but he had two sons uh, at the time that Jacob returned to him, as far as I can tell. And those two sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, when Jacob was blessing all of his sons, he claimed uh, Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons. And so from that point forward, you've got 12 tribes, which is actually 13 tribes of Israel. And uh, But you get different variations on that. So, for example, when the lands were allotted to all the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi didn't get any lands allotted. So you've got 12 tribes that received land that didn't include Levi. Why? Because 
uh, Levi was the uh, priesthood, the, the tribe of the priesthood, and uh, what they received was from the Lord. So there was no land allotment for them. So that's one example of where Levi is left out. And you have numerous times throughout Scripture where you have different variations of, of what are the specific 12 tribes. So here, uh, the 12 tribes that are mentioned, first of all, there's no Dan. Okay, so there's no tribe of Dan. That's interesting. Why that is, we don't know 100% for sure. But what is interesting is that the tribe of Dan was the first tribe of the nation of Israel that moved from worshipping the one true God into worshipping idols and other gods. And uh, uh, recent archaeological discoveries in the region where uh, the land allotment of Dan have found numerous uh, pagan worship, um, I guess, constructions and, and places of worship to idols and other gods. And so perhaps the fact that Dan was the first to step into idolatry and pagan worship, maybe that's why they're, they're left out of, uh, of this um, process during the tribulation period. But we don't know for sure. Either way, Dan is left out. The other thing you notice is that Joseph uh, is uh, mentioned here, the tribe of Joseph. And uh, so what's interesting about that is typically Joseph is divided into Manasseh and Ephraim. And so Manasseh is mentioned as well as Joseph. So presumably what that means is that because Manasseh is mentioned, there's 12,000 from Manasseh and there's 12,000 from Joseph. You can only assume that that 12,000 from Joseph is actually from Ephraim because uh, Joseph is made up of only uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And uh, the other interesting thing that we notice is that Judah is positioned first, but Judah wasn't the eldest. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, and I think probably the reason for that is that Reuben lost his birthright when he slept with Jacob's concubine. Uh, and so having lost his birthright, we have Judah uh, as the first tribe mentioned, as the tribe that King David came through and King Jesus came through and that the kingly line has come through and has ended in King Jesus. So Judah first, no Dan, Joseph instead of Ephraim. Uh, very interesting. Now on to verse 9. Okay, so after these things, so we've got, we've got this, this interesting uh, sort of view of these angels that are controlling the four quadrants of the winds of the earth and that they are going to be sent, verse um, verse 3 says, to essentially to harm the earth, sea, and trees, but they need to wait until uh, 144,000 Jewish remnant are sealed. And, uh, and then after that, we get another snapshot of, uh, of another group of people. So we're moving on from the 144,000, and, uh, and we go to verse 9 and we find this group of people. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, I just want to pause. This group of people here is a multitude of people who have come out of the tribulation. We, we get to that soon. We'll, 
we'll read that soon. But this is referring to the same group of people that we uh, had caught a glimpse of uh, during the fifth seal in uh, Revelation 6 verse 9 to 11. Uh, and I'll just go back there. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed so during the fifth seal they were told you need to wait there's more coming during revelation chapter 7 verses 9 uh, through 10 we get a glimpse that there are so many even at that point there are so many that are there they're clothed with white robes the other interesting thing is that they have palm branches in their hands so they're standing before the throne of God in heaven with palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God. Does that remind you of anything? When was the other time in history where multitudes were laying palm branches before God, crying out salvation? Do you remember? It's Palm Sunday. It's Jesus' official or formal first coming, if you will. It was the time, the only time, the first time that Jesus allowed people to publicly declare him to be king. And they laid palm branches before him and their clothes. And they proclaimed what? In Matthew 21, we'll just turn there. Matthew 21, verse 8 to 9, it says this. Got to find it. Sorry, should have had it ready. Matthew 21 verses 8 to 9 says this and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying hosanna to the son of david hosanna do you remember what that word hosanna means it means in the greek essentially means oh save come and save save us lord Sound familiar? Verse 10 of chapter 7, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's fascinating. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's, it's, uh, maybe it does. But it's very interesting, that connection between the two. Verse 11, all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Now, before I go on to verse 12 as to what they are worshiping, a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, is that this is the group of people that have died during the tribulation period. These are the tribulation saints, the same group that we talked about in the fifth seal, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Uh, you also notice that the elders are kept separate here in verse 11 of chapter 7. You've got the multitude that's spoken of, but then you've also got the angels uh, around the throne and the elders. Who do the elders represent? That's the church. Okay, so the multitude is not the church. The multitude are the tribulation saints who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period. And... I would argue that these particular multitudes 
uh, most likely Gentile multitude coming out of the tribulation. Why? Because the remnant of Israel, the 144,000, were just saved. So you've got a, a picture of the saved of Israel who are sealed, and now you've got the picture of the saved of the Gentiles who uh, have been martyred for their faith, and there are many of them. They're in the throne room of God. And they, so the multitude and the angels and the elders and the living creatures, they fall on their face before the throne and worship God. Now, this is particularly a response. Uh, It's a a worshipping of God in response to what he's doing with the multitudes coming out during the tribulation period. And they say in response to that, verse 12, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, what's also interesting about this, if you flip back to Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, you have uh, the, uh, the angels, the living creatures and the elders singing a praise to God in relation to the salvation of the elders, which is the church. And in that verse, in Revelation 5, verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, I'm not sure if you picked it up, but there is a, there is a slight difference between that song that was sung by the church and the angels and the living creatures. There's a difference between that song and the song that is sung by the multitude of tribulation saints and the church, and the angels, and the living creatures. And the difference is this. In the first one that the church sings, it speaks of riches, which is another way of speaking of inheritance. And who are the ones who receive the inheritance of Christ, but the bride of Christ? So the song that the church sings speaks of riches, The song that the multitude of tribulation saints sing, which obviously the church join in with, but it's specifically for the tribulation saints, the riches is replaced with thanksgiving. You've still got the blessing, you've still got the glory, you've still got the wisdom and honor and power and might, another way of saying strength. So those are the same between the two songs, but the one difference is the church one in Revelation 5 speaks of riches Whereas the Tribulation Saints song in Revelation 7 speaks of thanksgiving. Interesting. Different songs, different people groups. It's important that we delineate or or, uh, observe the different groups and the different events and the different uh, things that take place. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, speaking to John, I love this. Who are these? And the Bible, it's a Jewish thing. The Bible time and again uh, asks rhetorical questions in order to give the answer. So the question here is not being asked that John might answer, but rather it's being asked so that uh, the elder might reveal to John what the answer is. So here's a question. Uh, here's the answer. And often the answer is, uh, is given by another question, which is another thing entirely. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered saying to me who are these arrayed in white robes speaking of the multitudes of the tribulation saints who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from verse 14 is interesting the question is does john know them 
or does he not know them? Keep in mind that John is part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, he's part of the church. So you would imagine that he would be able to identify who the church is. Verse 14, And John said to him, Sir, you know, speaking to the elder. So the elder said to me, I love that. John's like, you know, I don't know, but you know. He doesn't say, I don't know, but that's the implication. You know, so come on, tell me. And so the elder does. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Okay, pause. The church is not in the great tribulation. These are tribulation saints. Remember, the Bible speaks of saints across different times. Old Testament saints are called saints. Church saints are called saints. Tribulation saints are called saints. They're all saints, but they're saints in different eras, different contexts, and therefore experience different things. Um, as an example, Old Testament saints didn't ever receive the indwelling spirit, uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit, uh, as a permanent thing. Whereas the Church Age saints uh, experienced the indwelling Holy Spirit as a permanent uh, indwelling. Uh, likewise, the Church saints experience different things to the Tribulation saints, and vice versa. Uh, verse 14, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. See, they're saved still by the blood of the lamb. No one can come to the Father apart from Christ. Even tribulation saints, although the Holy Spirit does not indwell, the Holy Spirit is still at work on the earth during that future seven-year tribulation period. After the church is gone, the Holy Spirit is still working. And they still are saved through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saved through faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, trusting in Him for the blood washing away their sin. Each of the tribulation saints would have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. Or should I say will, because it's future. Uh, 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in his temple. This is another hint. So a number of these things that we've been talking about uh, has been pointing to the fact that this is not the church. This is another hint. This group of people, this multitudes who have been saved by the blood of the lamb, serve Jesus day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among him. Now, this serving of Christ day and night in the temple, this is not the job of the church. The job of the church, that is the bride of Christ, is to reign with him. Revelation 5.10, speaking about the uh, elders, speaking about the church, and have made us, the church, kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign with Christ a thousand years. This is a different group of people. These guys are serving Christ in his temple day and night, the church will be ruling and reigning with Christ in his millennial kingdom. Verse 16, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. The word there is scorching heat. So presumably there is a scorching heat coming upon the earth during the tribulation period. They will not experience that because they are before the throne of God. Verse 17, and we're almost there. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, the Lamb being Jesus Christ, Messiah, 
will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now that's important. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It doesn't say God has or God is. It says God will. That's future. Uh, their number, if you go back to the fifth seal, Revelation 6 verse, uh, verse 11, their number of fellow servants who have been killed during the tribulation is not yet in yet. They're still going to be more at this time period where we're still in the midst of the first three and a half years. This is saying there's still going to be more because God will wipe away every tear from their eyes in the future. Their resurrection is still to come. The resurrection is the moment where they get their new heavenly body and sin and tears and pain and destruction, all of that will be gone. Their resurrection is still to come. The church has already received our resurrection at the rapture before the commencement of the tribulation. Their number is still not complete yet. More will die after uh, this point in the tribulation period, after the sixth seal, which is during the first three and a half years, more will be martyred for their faith, which means more will come to faith in Christ still. And already at this point, the numbers uh, is a great multitude which no one could number. Incredible. Incredible. Now is the time of our salvation. Now is the day of our salvation. But there will be many who sadly will not be raptured and will have to experience the tribulation period. And in experiencing the tribulation period, there will be many that will come to faith in Christ and will be martyred for that faith. Guys, don't wait till that time. Now is the time. Now is the day and the hour of your salvation. And then look up because your redemption draws near. That's the end of Revelation chapter 7. Thank you so much for joining us for another uh, Gather and Gain Prophecy Times podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Much love. Thank you.